Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Hunker down with our panel and topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville. Dial pound 3636. Joining us as he does most Thursdays, Peter Sherman, broadcaster, businessman, and former conservative MPP. How's the Shermanator? Good to be here and feeling very well. Thanks, John. Good. Good to have you feeling well. Stephen Holliday, Deputy Mayor, Councilor Ward 2 at Tobacco Center. Stephen Holliday, how goes it? It goes great. Always a pleasure to see you and looking forward to our chat today. How are you? Okay. Uh, well, let's not waste any more time. Let's get right... Oh, David Sparrow's here as well. I am, John. That's me over on the left side of the room. Hey, okay. fellas, how are you? How can you miss him? Hi, Dave. <laughs> well, believe me, I can. Uh, president of Actra National, that's the union representing performers across Canada, and he is a performer. You set to perform? I am ready to perform at a moment's notice. That's that's the whole uh, benefit of being an improviser. Well, listen, uh, you know, speaking of which, and uh, you know a lot of actors, uh, so when you watch Justin Trudeau these days as he tries to reclaim his mojo as a leader, uh, are you convinced? I am not completely convinced, <laughs> I will say. But, you know, I must I must say that this comes down to almost all politicians who are currently in the public realm, everyone from Donald Trump to... Uh, Boris Johnson and, and Justin Trudeau and all the all these folks is oftentimes it seems like their goal to not be perceived as a politician means that they are constantly acting and talking not about policy or issues, not taking a stand, not being strong in what they're saying, but instead being soft and inclusive and and the like, or doing something bizarre that's outside of, of what would be acceptable by a normal citizen. And, and I just wish we had some smart, effective, diplomatic politicians at the helm who are actually going to um, play the role uh, properly and take a strong stand on issues. Well, Ronald Reagan was an actor, but he was convincing and genuine. Authenticity, I guess, is the word we're looking for. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. I was not even a, a Republican or a conservative, but I was ready to follow him into battle because he was he was definitive. Who was that impression, by the way? Uh, that that was Get Smart, Don Adams. So unkind. Don okay. Yes, John, that was Don Adams. Is that your shoe ringing? I hear you. Wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, you're still doing Don Adams, are you? I, I, I try to stay up with the young people. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like George Carlin once said, you know, doing Nixon impressions has kind of replaced the lampshade for men at parties. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get into it. Uh, Peter Sherman as well. Same question. I mean, uh, can Justin Trudeau reclaim his mojo and uh, be convincing as a leader? The only thing Justin Trudeau can do now is show us that he actually has some leadership in him because he didn't have to and he didn't show it for the last four years. At this point, he's going to have to... I've called it stick handling, and I've been calling it uh, the way it came out for months. Uh, And if it happened and it happened, 
You're going to have to stick handle that puck down the ice, and you're not going to be able to cave at the outset to whoever it is. Let's say Jagmeet Singh, because that's the one that has been paired up with him so much. If you want to get that pipeline going, you're going to have to be talking to the Conservatives, and the Conservatives, to make themselves whole, are going to have to go along. And if Jagmeet says, well, if you do that, you're SOL, because I'm not going to follow you on anything else. Uh, Well, the answer to that, if you have leadership, is, oh, is that so, Jagmeet? Because the way I hear it, you owe the bank $10 million, and my Com- my my company my party yeah mm. company yeah. my my party is still flush the conservatives are still flush we don't want to fight an election now but we will if you make us do that so that's stick handling and what happens is jugmeat comes along and maybe we go together on a climate change initiative maybe we go together on pharmacare whatever it happens to be you're going to have to pick your dance partner right down the the line until we don't have a government that uh, that can pass anything anymore and that's probably as people have been saying 18 to 24 months away if I'm Justin Trudeau, uh, to show good faith, I'd probably uh, show up just outside of Edmonton or Calgary in Fort Mac on a bobcat a week from Wednesday and start digging into the ground. Uh, am I wrong about that? I mean, how do you see it? Is he got to really uh, send a signal right off the hop that he's very sincere about trying to reconcile things with the West, Stephen? I think it's stormy days, my friends. Stormy days ahead. I don't know. I, I Part of me has to wonder what's rolling around in his noggin right now. Um, I called him the Teflon Prime Minister before because after all the things we saw sort of through this election, and and uh, I think the public's tired of hearing about them, but he escaped and he made it through on the other side with something pretty darn close to uh, a majority, not quite, uh, but within striking zone of getting enough people on his side. Um, I agree, though, he's got to uh, reach out to the prairies. They sent a strong message. Uh, I hope he can get this pipeline built, and I hope he learns that he needs to deal and switch modes in how he governs and uh, be collaborative to get things put through, uh, particularly with the NDP. I mean, I don't know how this is going to square up with the pipeline, but he's working hard, uh, hopefully, at it. And uh, the one thing that does worry me is is the public sentiment on um, how they look at government and the backroom deals that might be occurring over the next number of months to get things passed through. I'm not sure that's a sustainable thing in the long term, and I hope they manage that um, that public sentiment going forward. There's a lot of people going to be jockeying with uh, various uh, positions as well as policy. Like, for example, in Ontario now, uh, the carbon tax fight. Doug Fort, does he relent on that, or does he take it to the Supreme Court? Because, I mean, it was a campaign promise, and uh, Justin Trudeau is equally adamant that uh, they're going to fight climate change. What does Ford do at this point? I mean, he struck a conciliatory note uh, once he was kind of unmuzzled day after the election. Sparrow, what do you see? Well, I was actually impressed with Doug Ford coming forward and basically congratulating Justin and ready to uh, work with work with him. And one would assume that would also be on climate action, whether um, that means that uh, he doesn't about face and starts to support the carbon tax or whether Ontario comes up with its own model, which was the original test of the carbon tax. If a province had its own effective model on how it was going to deal with climate, then the carbon tax wouldn't apply. Um, certainly, we saw the uh, Premier of Saskatchewan come out much more aggressive and uh, sort of suggesting that he wasn't ready to work with uh, uh, Justin's government on any level and that's, uh, you know, Saskatchewan's in a lot of um, troubles already and that's not going to benefit. So I think uh, perhaps we'll uh, see a, uh, a better relationship between some of the things, uh, between uh, Doug Ford and uh, and Justin in terms of some of the things they want to achieve on transit and yeah, climate. The question and is, does he continue the fight to the Supreme Court? 
Well, I, I would think that would uh, not be to his benefit if he wants to achieve a better relationship and actually achieve some of the things he wants to do. Well, what though about uh, not breaking faith with Ford Nation, who got him elected? I think the jury is still out on that. And if I were in Doug Ford's chair right now and sitting at that cabinet table, I'd be saying, well, you know, when we went to the Ontario court, we didn't we, we didn't bat a, a goose egg on the bottom end. I can't remember it was uh, three to two. Yeah. Or, so, so there's a reasonable chance if you understand what the arguments were that failed to sway the other judge, maybe you could go to the Supreme Court. On the other hand, if you want to be conciliatory, and that's what we're talking about, then maybe you don't take it to the Supreme Court, but you come back, come up with your other with another plan rather than just taking the tax that's being foisted on us by the feds. There was one. It was called cap and trade. I don't know if I loved it because I have said this before. I believe that the solution to the, to this is in the science, and I want to see science take hold. Charging somebody uh, for a carbon credits or or buying carbon credits, you know, trading that stuff around is simply a parallel taxation system, and it doesn't resolve anything. So I want to see the resolution. I, maybe it's a system where we do levy some kind of a, of a tax, if I can, for want of a better word, and we allocate to scientific research in great degree so that we enhance another industry and find some solutions. Right. Uh, he doesn't want to put onerous taxation on burgeoning businesses and that because he says it's a job killer. Stephen, how do you see it? I well, mean, what does he do? Take it back to the Supreme Court and go with it? Yeah, well, you know, my comment on the, the carbon tax is it's the wrong tool at the wrong place and time. Sometime in the future, when you want to make that last little shift of people into their electric vehicles, you bring in some negative push like a tax like that. But right now, people don't have a choice. So it, it just sits as a money grab. Um, but on the bigger issue, you know, I think he's between a rock and a hard place because he can't renege on something that he's campaigned so hard on. And, uh, you know, he'll be known as the guy that, you know, took it to court earlier. Really, the only way out is is to lose and uh, to lose in court. And maybe the, the idea is, is that he just doesn't try hard. The people of Canada have spoken. Um, whether I agree with the, the outcome of the election or not, it is the outcome of the election and the policies going forward. And so they ha- the Canada at large has a feeling on the carbon tax because they supported the Liberals going forward. That's pretty tough to, uh, to thumb your nose to. But he has made that commitment to go and fight it. Uh, and, and maybe that is the idea, is that he doesn't uh, fight it so hard. He doesn't so f- litigate it in the media. He lets the court process go through. Just on the principle of taking other governments to court, I have, I have struggles with that idea in general. And I think I've said that before is, you know, was this a good use of taxpayer resources to go fight one duly elected government in court um, by another? And, you know, I think you head down to a path and there he is it. He's between a rock and a hard place. All right. But it's based on uh, a perception of constitutional sovereignty. But anyway, uh, so you're saying he should tank. It's almost like, you know, going into the toilet so you get a higher draft pick. (laughs) (laughs) What's what's, what's the saying? Take a dive? Take a dive. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Well, you know, uh, when we talk about uh, the Ford government and uh, whether they stay the fight or they uh, start to put some water in their wine, earlier today, the education minister, Stephen Lecce, was saying, you know what we'll do for the uh, secondary grades? We're going to actually lower the threshold for the class sizes uh, from 28. That was the average that they were taking from 22 up to 28. And all hell broke loose and you had the unions and everybody complaining how this was uh, going to be uh, impractical and blah, blah, blah. Now he says, you know what, uh, after, what was his word? Upon reflection. That was his, upon reflection, we've decided we'll make the size 25. It's called setting the table. 
Uh, we heard loud and clear what Harvey Bischoff had to say, OSSTF. We know what Sam Hammond has to say at ETFO, elementary teachers. Uh, we know that uh, everybody's busy taking strike votes. And we know that it's always when they speak for the children. We have to make sure that things work for the children. And this, these awful cuts, what cuts? We're spending more money than we were under when. But uh, let's just call it repurposing of funds. This is a terrible thing, and we have to fight for the children. Well, guess what? Now we've handed you back what you were complaining about. So what are you going to fight for now? Or are we going to find out that you're really uh, at the table to get more money for yourselves? I think that was a good move on Lecce's part. All right. I was going to ask about this as a strategic move or a tactic. You're the union guy here, Mr. Sparrow. Uh, should they not put some water in their own wine? They're saying, oh, well, uh, this olive branch is misleading because really what the Ford government is angling towards is going forward, uh, there would be no cap on class sizes and they would just abuse that uh availability in years, you know, upcoming and in the future. So uh, let's not get misled by this olive branch that has been thrown our way. Well, how do you see it? I I would say apart from what their motivations uh, may be deeper, if we look at the issue just on the face of it, is that what the uh, government is saying is on reflection will only raise class sizes by three as as opposed to by six. And uh, so the union, it would appear, is still standing fast that they don't want class sizes raised. Now, in terms of a negotiation, well, the government's made a move, and now it's up to the union to decide how they would uh, respond back and whether they'll have a counteroffer or whether... whether, as my colleague has said, they have some other uh, uh, agenda item that they're going to try to address. But um, I think, you know, what we've seen um, with the with the Ford government in some, some respects is things like the autism file and this education file and other files where their policy didn't seem to be necessarily based in tons of research and tons of public consultation. They go to make the initial change, and then they've had to come back and, and either roll back their, their policy or readdress it or reframe it. And it could be said that this is just another one that they're reframing. I think, I tend to think that instead they're, they're saying we still want to address class size. We want it to increase by some, but we're, we're willing to find a middle ground. And it'll be up to the union to decide if that's tenable. Well, I was going to say, okay, uh, so it's up to the union. But in the court of public opinion now, uh, has there been a pivot point here where Lecce is looking like the reasonable one, Stephen? Oh, I think this is all shrewd tactics. And what's the saying? Paper tiger, right? You create... You create a monster and then you beat it down in front of everybody and look like the hero. I mean, it's it's also a negotiating tactic. You give back something to the person that they never actually had, and, and which is this issue around the class size. But I, I think uh, in, in the sense of public opinion, and um, things that I've seen just out there is there are a lot of people that are fighting the government just for the fight. It's not about the issue itself. Um, we see this around city council. You know, people are in it for the fight. And they'll latch on to an issue, whether it has merit or not, but they just want to strike out against the Ontario government because that's the narrative or that's the industry that they're in. Um, these type of issues that come up and they get pulled back is a way to ferret out those people that actually have an issue about the policy around the school uh, versus those that just want to protest the government And I think that's an important step in managing all of this public opinion. And also what we've seen a little bit lately is is not totally, but somewhat bargaining in public with some of the issues that have come up. And that's a little different from some of the previous governments. Um, These issues seem to be circulating out in the public and, and public are giving their opinion on them. Well, but the union's tactic as well is to, uh, they say, put everything that's being offered uh, on a website 
and therefore transparency so everybody knows uh, where they stand or where relative to the government. I mean, is that another tactic strategically? Is that a good move? You know, uh, as long as both sides are doing it and uh, they're maximizing it, but where it gets really interesting is where you convert all of the gives and takes that are are being put forward by a union, and you bring that into the into the monetary sense. It, it's it's how bargaining starts out. You start with an envelope of money, and you say to the union, "Okay, um, we can agree to uh, a wage increase, uh, but not this other stuff. But if you want the other stuff, we have to reduce that wage increase, so we come out at the end at the same thing." I don't know how a union bargains publicly when it comes down to dollars and cents, especially in the public sector, because there's so much negative public sentiment out there about public sector workers. You know, I'm sure if you stopped enough people on the street, they'd say, well, the government workers make too much money. I don't agree with that. But uh, those are the dangers of that type of bargaining in public. Instead, I think there's issues floating out there like class size, like the autism file, like other things that touch people's nerves. And um, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, so as those issues are taken away, what are you left with? You're just left with people that just want to fight the provincial government instead of deal with uh, a bargaining issue. All right. So it's class warfare, literally and figuratively. Uh, David Sparrow? I was just going to say that bargaining is always tough. And unfortunately, we often leave the largest problems that an industry is facing, whether it be on the management side or on the union side, we leave them to bargaining. And uh, there's another type of bargaining called interest-based bargaining, where you identify interests that affect both sides of the table. And so, for instance, in this situation with the education system, perhaps it's math scores. And you say that both sides of the table would be interested in in having the uh, students have better math scores. And then you start to discuss how will we best achieve that. And unfortunately, the way bargaining works now, it is confrontational, it is positional. And so management comes in and says, we're going to achieve that by forcing you to do this. And the union comes in and says, we need more people to teach students better, so we need an increase in the budget. Um, Those are not necessarily the right answers from either sector. And it would be good to actually work in between contracts and and discuss how some of these issues can truly be uh, solved in a way that will benefit the students and their families in Ontario and, and our whole education system. I want to live in your world. Yeah. I, and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm saying that you're optimistic and really overly optimistic. It'd be great to speak about those things. And I think that speeches, for example, on... Uh, special days where teachers are in a convention and they invite ministers or deputy ministers to speak, you're going to hear that kind of stuff. When it comes down to hard and fast bargaining, and you're a union guy and you know this, you're dealing with an amalgam of what Stephen's talking about, which is the envelope of money that's going to cover one thing or the other, and you're talking about uh, what you want to achieve inside of the schools. And it's hard and fast, and it's not going to, it's not going to put on the table things that are a, a little nebulous that are up there in a cloud yeah and that's that's the sad thing but that's the way it is thanks for listening to the john oakley show podcast be sure to rate review and subscribe for free at apple podcasts google podcasts and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio